Recorded live. How foolish I was and how God was not something that I thought about. Serving him certainly wasn't anything that ever crossed my mind. I was thanking him for his patience with me. I was thanking him for his grace and his infinite wisdom that even at the moment of his conceiving of me within his own heart, his love attached itself to me. And throughout all my years of wandering and foolishness, he never withdrew his love for me, and he never withdrew his grace that he extended towards me. And he knew at the appropriate time when my heart would be sensitive and open to hearing about his holy and righteous son, Jesus Christ. And he knew what my response would be. And at the same time, he would not force me to do something I was not willing to do. That's what I love about God. He does not force us into situations or to make decisions that we are not prepared to make because we are free will. He's given us that, so he respects us because of that. And I'm just grateful to him. I thought about where he brought me from and where I am today, and I am so grateful. I am truly grateful to God. I'm humbled that he will even see fit to call someone who had never thought about him in the sense that I do now or in the ways that I do now, who never even considered worshiping him or going to church to, to hear his word ministered. Great is our God and greatly to be praised. You have your Bible. Just lift those as we prepare to make our declaration on this morning. Is it your Bibles or your smartphone or your your, your iPad or smart tablet as we prepare to make our declaration. Repeat after me, if you will. If I receive this word with my mind only, this word will be dead for me. But if I receive this word with the spirit over my mind, this word will be life for me. Lord, I don't need religious form and fashion. I need life. Now look at your neighbors and neighbor. The word of God is life. Uh, thank God for that. You have your Bible, your smart tablets, your smartphone, whatever you have your Bible on, turn, if you will, please, to Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, we have been, for the past month now, or close to a month now, been teaching on the superiority of Jesus Christ. And that superiority is over the prophets, over the angels, over Moses. Uh, and his superiority is simply because he is God. And there is no one greater than him. Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 7. This particular section uh, that I'm ministering on, when dealing with the superiority of Jesus Christ, uh, we're, we're looking at now the, an admonition, a warning that the Hebrew writer is giving to the Christians of his day. Uh, 
and I won't go into all of it just yet, but I want to begin by reading uh, verse 7, beginning in verse 7 of chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my work forty years. Therefore, I was, an, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of death. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all those, all who come, came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose horses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. There, I wanted to read through chapter 4, verse 13, but I'm going to stop there, uh, and we're going to address just chapter 3, verses 7 through 19 on today, and we will continue next week and complete this particular section of the sermon on next Sunday. There is a, old, there is a hymnal that uh, my wife and I were singing on uh, yesterday. It just came to mind, and we thought we would uh, sing it this morning, at least one stanza of it. And it's entitled, My God is Real, by Kenneth Morris. Uh, he says, yes, God is real. So if you will join us, join in with us as we sing this perfect, I believe it's a very familiar hymn. There are some things I may not know. There are some places I can't go, but I am sure of this one thing, that God is real, for I can feel him deep within. Yes, God is real. Real in my soul. Yes, God is real, for he has watched and made me whole. His love for me is like pure gold. Yes, God is real, for I can feel him in my soul. Father, we thank you this morning. 
as we enter into your holy presence. We do so mindful that you alone are God and you alone are sovereign and holy. And that there is no other God but you. There is no other Savior but Jesus Christ. And there is no God to all truth but your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, lead and guide us on this morning. Teach through me, Holy Spirit, as your temple to be used as you see fit to do what you see, to do it as you will. Have your way, Holy Spirit, in this place. Let the anointing of your presence be here. Let it flow, let your anointing flow from heart to heart. Let it be here, every ear here. And let it heart receive and understand that there is salvation in no other name, in no other person, but that of Jesus Christ. We thank you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And thank you, Jesus. Last Sunday, I ministered on the superiority of Jesus over Moses, the penman of the five, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses was faithful to God in his obedience to his assignment. Moses confronted Pharaoh to let Israel go. Moses declared each of the ten plagues that would befall the Egyptians because of Pharaoh's refusal to release Israel from bondage. Pharaoh's chokehold on Israel was finally broken. When the Lord moved throughout all Egypt at midnight, killing the firstborn in every Egyptian home, starting with Pharaoh's son, the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Death passed over the dwelling of the Israelites because of the blood of the unblemished lamb that covered their doorpost. The unblemished lamb was a symbol of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, whose death and resurrection have made our deliverance from sin a reality. This morning, I continue the series on the superiority of Jesus Christ as the means by which we expound upon this year's theme, building on truth, the word of God. In our text, we come to the second of five exhortations or warnings addressed to the believers. The first warning is found in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Since Jesus Christ is supremely great, and is destined for final triumph over his enemies, the recipients to whom this epistle is addressed are exhorted to give a more earnest heed to the things we have heard. And what I mean by that is they are to pay more careful attention to the realities of what they have heard and received concerning their faith in Jesus Christ. If they didn't pay careful attention to or adhere to the teachings of the gospel, they would be in threat of drifting away. This phrase points to the immaturity, number one, and second, to the spiritual sluggishness or the neglect of those to whom the Hebrews writer wrote. And if the immaturity and spiritual sluggishness were not effectively and immediately dealt with, they would be in danger of slipping away from what they had heard. Glory to God. In this second warning, 
The author sounds a clarion call to the recipients that that it is their Christian duty to stand strong against the lies to convince them to turn their backs on God and to go back to the law of Moses. Listen, the law of Moses was a law of work. The new life they now have was given not by their works of righteousness, but by the grace of God demonstrated in the life and death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. In other words, eternal salvation is not earned or deserved instead Lord, it is a gift offered by God to everyone, bar none, who would receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. To the recipient of a gift, the price is almost always free of monetary or personal charge or commitment. However, this does not mean that it did not cost someone. While eternal life is free to you and I and everyone else, should we decide to avail ourselves of it, someone had to personally pay for it. Isaiah 53, verses 8 and 9, is, is the Jews were given an advance heads up of the ultimate price the Messiah would have to pay for their eternal freedom, and it implies that the Messiah would be a human being that would be arrested illegally, falsely, Accused and tried and then brutally murdered by the humanity. By humanity. Here's what it says He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? But he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Why? Because he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. He suffered and died because of the selfishness and the evilness of the hearts of men. This gives us the picture of the Messiah as being perfect, blameless of any wrongdoing. He was innocent, completely. But note what the Apostle Paul says of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, spoken of by Isaiah over 745 years before Jesus' birth, and we don't know the exact date of Jesus' birth. So please, don't get it twisted. For he, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that is, in Christ, that's in Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Christ came down from his eternal glory, became fully human in order that he might die the death of every human being, thereby freeing those who would, who would fully and completely receive him, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those human I and all who would receive him, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I guarantee you right now, if you ask somebody how they're scared to die, many will tell you they're scared to die. But Jesus, but that's because of sin. But when Jesus came into the world and he died on the cross for you and I, he triumphed over sin and death. And the one who had the power of death in his hand, Satan. So now we no longer have to walk in fear of death. We can walk and enjoy life, which is what he came to do. He says, I come. 
have life, and that you might have it to the full, or more abundantly. So, this is this morning has its roots, as I mentioned earlier, in the exodus of Israel from Egypt and their experiences of unbelief in the wilderness. It was not the will of God that Israel should stay in bondage in Egypt, nor was it the will of God that Israel should wander forever in the wilderness. It was his desire that Israel enter into their inheritance in the land of Canaan. In short, God was fulfilling the promise he made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, and again in Genesis chapter 15, verses 12 through 21. But when Israel got to the border of their inheritance, this is the first time, they delayed Israel in because they doubted the promise of God. We are not able, they cried, the kids to, they cried, they cried, the kids cried, and the people. And we are able, with God's help, said Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, because the Israelites went backwards in unbelief instead of forward by faith. They missed their inheritance and they died in the wilderness. It was the new generation, the young people, their offspring, that possessed, took possession of the land and entered into their rest, along with Joshua and Caleb, the only two of their generation to survive the wilderness journey. Joshua and Caleb survived because they guarded their faith in God. You've got to learn, my brothers and sisters, to guard your faith in Christ. No matter what comes your way, no matter how many doubts arise in your mind, you must stand firm upon the word of God and know without doubt that in him you live and move and have your being. That when you have eternal life, nothing and no one can take that away from you, but you cannot. Under any circumstances, despite all that you encounter, walk away from God because then you open yourself right back up to the works of the enemy on a stronger level. Why do Christians concern ourselves about Canaan? Canaan represents our spiritual inheritance in Jesus Christ. That's why we're concerned. Israel had to cross, had to cross the Jordan River by faith. By crossing the Jordan River by faith, this is a picture of a believer as he died to himself and the world. Romans chapter 6, and claim the inheritance by faith. We must claim our inheritance by faith. They had to step out on faith. God says in Joshua 1 and 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. And I said to Moses, and claimed the land for themselves. That's what they had to do. You and I, as believers today, must do the same thing. We cannot waver in our faith. We cannot walk away from our faith. If we walk away from our faith, it is like a husband walking away from his wife and children. God knows we've seen a lot of that over the years, haven't we? The wilderness journey, therefore, represents the experiences of believers who will not claim their spiritual inheritance in Christ. 
who doubt God's word and live in reference unbelief. To be certain, God is with us, and he was with Israel. But they do not enjoy the fullness of God's blessing. They are out of Egypt, but they are not yet in Canaan. You are still, if you're doubting God, if you're still walking around as a Christian in unbelief that God is able to do what no one else can do, that he is able to keep his promises, if you walk away from him, if you're still sitting on the fence, my God, you will never enter the promised land. You will never enter your rest. You always walk around worried about somebody killing you. You always walk around worried if you're going to have enough money to pay your bills. You always walk around in fear and doubt and frustration. You want to enter into the rest that God has promised you through Christ. With this background, it is my prayer that you will understand better one of the key words used by the author in this third respect of Jesus' superiority over Moses, and it is rest. That simple word, rest. As I stated, the superiority that Jesus is superior to Moses. Simple, plain and simple. How is Jesus Christ superior to Moses? Well, Jesus Christ is superior to Moses as covered in, in his person, which we discussed on last Sunday, and in his ministry, which we discussed last Sunday. And today we're going to discuss in his rest. Jesus Christ is superior to Moses in that Moses was not able to give the children of Israel rest, but Jesus Christ can. Let's take a look at it. Jesus Christ is superior to Moses in the rest that he gives. Verses 7 through 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion, in the day of the in the day of trial in the wilderness. Where your fathers tested me, God said, tried me and saw my work forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my wrath. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you and in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Let any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, 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 if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those whom, who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he have to swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in, in because of unbelief. The key gaining, the key to gaining greater insight into understanding of and appreciation of the Word of God is to go back 
to where it all began. You'll never fully understand where you are until you know and appreciate where you came from. You never will. And many people, and as my years of experience in the ministry, many people want to come and they want to be lifted up. They want to be, and I, I don't, I'm, I want to be lifted up too. They want to be wooed and wild and, and they want to just, they want to jump and shout and all of that stuff. And there's a time for that. But when it comes to really getting to know and understand for yourself the Word of God so that it, it, so that you can take it in and apply it to your life and walk in faith and walk strong and confident in God, you need to be taught. You have to be taught. And so I pray that you will receive this word because that's the only way that we get greater insight and understanding and appreciation for who God is, what Christ did, and what we now have because of what Christ did on the cross. With this respect of Jesus' superiority over Moses, the Hebrews often give three warnings to the Jew Christians of his day and to the Christians across all generations. And I'm only going to be able to get to probably one of these on today. He says, we are to beware. Starting at verse 12. We are to beware. The word means to take care or to be careful, to be prudent, or to be watchful to do something. By, by the use of this word, beware, he is calling the Jewish Christians to remember their ancestral history and the important lessons he does this by quoting from Psalm 95, the 95th number of the Psalms, verses 7 through 11, which records God's response to Israel's tragic spiritual condition. God had many, God had broken the stranglehold of Egypt and he, that Egypt had on his people and had cared for them revealing in his power in many signs and wonders. What do you mean? Well, when God sent Moses to Pharaoh and said, let my people Israel go, he would not do it. Pharaoh would not hear of it. And all of this, so God said, so there were ten plagues. And the final plague was the one that broke the stranglehold of Egypt's over Israel. And Israel was allowed to be released. But here's the kicker. That's not the only thing that they witnessed. That's not the only thing that the children of Israel witnessed God do. God then, after releasing them from Egypt, led them by way of the Red Sea. And coming to the Red Sea, Pharaoh then comes to his senses and says, no, I'm going and we're going to bring them all back, 6,600,000 men, not counting women and children. So he mounted his chariots and he gathered all of his armies together and they went in hot pursuit of, hot pursuit of Egypt. Well, God understood and God knew that Pharaoh would come after Israel. So what God did, God led the children of Israel out of Egypt by a cloudy pillar during the day. And if you know anything about the desert, it's hot during the day. 
and that cloudy pillar served not only as a guide or a leading to leading the children of Israel in our future, but it also cooled them from the heat of the day. And he led them by night with by a, a cloudy pillar, I mean a fiery pillar. And that fiery pillar, because if you are familiar with the desert, it is cold as all get out during the evening. And that fire not only served as light to lead them, I am a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, but I, I am also, I can also give you heat to keep you warm from the chill of the night. That's what God did. He, they saw that sign. But then when they looked back and they saw Pharaoh and his chariot coming after himself, God said, move and put a wall of fire between Israel and Pharaoh's army, and he kept them. And as the children of Israel saw Pharaoh's army, they cried out, and Moses, thought, and Moses cried out, and God said, stretch forth your hand over the sea. Give up your rod and stretch forth your hand over the sea. And God called a strong wind to come and to separate the waters of the Red Sea. And these waters stood some 200 to 250 feet high, and God called that wind to dry the ground that had once been saturated by the Red Sea, allowing the children of Israel to pass between the waters and on dry land to get to the other side. And as the children of Israel near yet completion, completing their journey through the Red Sea, God removed the firewall and allowed Pharaoh's army to resume their chase of the children of Israel. God had a plan. He had a plan. And so, God, I love this. And, and so, as they near, the Pharaoh's army got closer, God caused the wheels from the chariots to fall off, making it difficult for the army to move fast. And so when they got positioned right there in the middle of that path, right between those two walls of fire, water, God said to Moses, now stretch forth your hand over the sea. And the water said, return to their original position, killing everything, drowning every Egyptian that was caught in that path. They saw God do this. And yet and still, with all that God did for them, they still had unbelief. Many of you have a minute of your relationship right now. The more you try to show the person you're with how much you love them and how dedicated you are to them, the more they seem to doubt that you are. They seem to doubt that you are. The problem isn't you. Just like the problem wasn't God, and the problem wasn't Moses, and the problem wasn't Joshua, and the problem wasn't Caleb, the problem were the people of the people. The problem is the individual you hooked up with. You need to reevaluate your relationship. They saw God do all that. And yet, my God, they, they doubted him. Lord, I thank you for your loving kindness. Israel saw all of this. And they benefited from all that God did. But the experience did not bring them closer to God or make them trust him more. Doesn't make sense. All that God did for them 
did not benefit them spiritually. And all they were concerned about was their flesh would enjoy, what they could get in their stomach, what they could put on their back. Many people are like that. They just want to live a certain life. They don't care about anything spiritual. They don't care about their spiritual life. All they're concerned about is what they can get over on other people, what they can get from other people, what they can beat other people out of. That's why we have so many robberies right now. That's why we have so many people breaking into people's homes and stealing and taking. Because all they're thinking about is right now, the moment. They don't care about anything else. They're not looking for anything else. You need to watch yourself around those kind of people because anybody, the only thing they're concerned about is what kind of rings they have on their face, what kind of watches they have, what kind of shoes they wear, what kind of purses they carry, what kind of clothing, whose who name they're wearing. you got a problem. You've got a problem. That tells me that you are more in tune with the world and you want nothing and have nothing to do with God. For the most part, truth is, just the opposite took place. They, instead of benefiting from God spiritually, they turned their heart against God. In other words, they hardened their heart against God. When someone hardens their heart, they turn away from the truth of God. They turn away. I've met guys on the street, and I'm trying to share with God. Man, get away from me. I don't want to hear that. Man, I don't want to hear that. God, I haven't got time for that mess. This is what they say. But that should not deter you from going forth and sharing the gospel. They became stubborn and disobedient. This rejection of God, this rejection, this stubbornness, this disobedience, this turning away from the truth, is an outward expression of an internal condition or decision. If they can appreciate spiritual things, it's because internally they are all messed up and belong to the world. At the heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. At the heart of this, at the heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. The people of Israel, with the exception of Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, number one, went astray in their hearts. That's where it's always going to begin, right there in your heart. Hebrews 3 and 10, therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways, which means that their hearts wandered from God and his words. They wanted nothing to do with them. As long as he met their needs, that's all. He was there. He, they wanted him. We think that we think that a uh, sugar daddy is something, somebody, something that that's very new to the fifties and sixties and seventies and eighties. And even today, I'm gonna find me a sugar daddy. I'm gonna find me a sugar mama. Well, no, 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 no. They were looking. They saw God as their sugar daddy. Only time they needed him is when they didn't have something and they cried out and they murmured and they complained, and then God, through Moses, blessed them. Here's the second thing. They also had an evil heart. They had evil hearts of unbelief. Hebrews 3 as well. Beware. That's where we are. Beware. This is a warning. Brethren, let there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. What is an evil heart? An evil heart is a heart of unbelief. 
and, and, and departing from the living God. They did not believe that God would give them a victory over Canaan. Turn, if you will, to Numbers, uh, Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Real quick. Numbers chapter 13. This is where the children of Israel, Moses is God. God has instructed Moses to send one spy from each tribe over into Canaan to spy out the land. And when they came back, we said they gave an evil report, if you will. Here's, they, they, they did not understand. They rejected God. Listen. This is what it says. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregations of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregations and showed them the fruit of the land. They, that then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It, it, it truly flowed with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, somebody say nevertheless. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Adak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell in the by the sea, and all along and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up and once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men, but the men, but the men who gone up and gone up with them said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report for the land of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies in the land that devoured its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. They were giants. Who, uh, and there was there we saw giants. The descendants of Adak came, and you know the descendants of Adak came from giants, and we were like grasshoppers in all in our own sight, and we saw, and so we were in their sight. Listen. God didn't ask them to, to take note of the time. That's not why God sent them. He said, you know you see the enemy, but you don't have to worry about the enemy. I just want you to see what I'm going to give you, what I promised to Moses back in Genesis chapter 12 and back in Genesis chapter 15. I, listen, I took, Mo, I took Abram, rather, I took Abram in Genesis 12 and Genesis 13. I took Abram into, into Egypt where there was a drought. And because of a drought, I, did, I took him out of Canaan and put him in Egypt because of the drought. And then after the drought, Pharaoh kicked him out because of his wife, because of Moses' wife, Sarah. Then God sent Moses into Canaan, and Canaan, and then Abram into Canaan. And in Canaan, Abram laid hold of the promised land. But Abram, descendants will be the one to take it because the sin of the inhabitants had not yet matured. And so every place, I, I thought this was my study. I was looking at this, and 
in Canaan. He and his wife and all of his servants and his livestock and all of his gold and all of his silver, even 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 his nephew Lot. Uh, glory, you've got to get this thing, boy. You've got to get it. And then his descendants go into the land. What drove his descendants into the land of Egypt, where they would be locked down for generations, for four generations? What drove them into the promise? Was it not famine in all the land except in Eden? And God had prepared Joseph to go in and prepare everything so that Israel would be taken care of during the severe drought in all the land. Only Egypt had the food. And yet they go right back into Egypt again. Egypt kicked most Abram out of because of Sarah. And then he turned then he turned around. Pharaoh kicked the children of Israel out of Egypt because of what God had done. Listen, God will put you in the midst of your enemy, and they will take care of you until they get to a certain point, and then he will break everything that they have, the hold they have on you, the claim they have on you. And he will separate you from them, and he will give you promised land. He will give you the promises that he made to your father Abraham. We are still, we are descendants of Abraham by faith, not by lineage, not by blood, but by faith. We enter into the promises of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. So, they saw in themselves, they had a low opinion of themselves. And so they assumed because they had a low opinion of themselves that they that though the inhabitants of Canaan would have a low opinion of them. They saw themselves as nothing. But God saw them as the promises that he had made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. You have got to, I don't know who you are, but you have got to stop seeing yourself as nothing. You are more important than you realize. You are bigger, you are better than you realize. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. He's trying to get something to you, but you have to make the decision of whether you want to accept him or reject him. The choice is yours. Reject Christ, receive the promise. Reject Christ, reject the promise. It's up to you. They could not enter into the rest of the promised land because of the unbelief in their heart. And not only that, they caused the whole nation to murmur and complain and, re- and refuse to go in. But that's not it. I'm not going to be able to finish this this morning. Not even this section that I was this first point I wanted to make. Verse from chapter 14 of, of Numbers. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried because of the people with what the uh, spies came back and reported. The ten spies came back and reported. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Here we go again. Complaining. Always complaining. They didn't believe God, so they complained. They believed other people and other people say, but they won't believe what God says in his word. They believe what other people say, but they won't take God in his word. Other people lie. Other people don't know. People don't know the whole truth. God sees it all. But yet, people will trust other people because they think those people know more than God knows. And they only know what they know, and they guess at other things. But you think because they're a good guesser, 
you nor I. Every human being needs someone to watch over them. God is watching over us all. God has given us knowledge. God has given us wisdom and understanding. God has given us control and authority over all the works of his hands. God is the one who owns every nation. The cattle on a thousand hills. The earth belongs to the Lord and the fullness thereof. The world is made that dwell therein. All belongs to God. Listen, we are to stop. Take, we need to take our eyes off of people and start putting our eyes on God. Because God knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. There is none like him. He alone is God. He is the divine uh, architect and creator, builder of all that there is. So we need to understand. These people took the word of ten people after seeing all the work that God had done to deliver them out of Israel. They cried and they complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of this Egypt, or only if we had died in this wilderness, why have the Lord brought us to this land to, be, to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, and let us elect a leader and return to Egypt. Get me a friend. Why would you want to go? Let me not get ahead of myself. They had seen all the great works of God and had performed in Egypt and during their wilderness trek, yet they continued to doubt that he was adequate for the challenge of Canaan. Did they not see the Egyptians drown in the Red Sea? Did they not see the chariot wheels fall off? Did, not, did they not see the wall of fire that protected them from Pharaoh's army? Did they not see how he delivered them out of Egyptian bodies? Did they not see that? Did they not see him give them water out of the rock? Did they not see him do that? Many people today are just like those people. And, and, and if I sound passionate about this, it's because I am. The Hebrew writer, when you begin to read this Hebrew, the book of Hebrews, you begin to see the passion. You begin to see the concern. You begin to see the heart of the author of this book. Of rather this this epistle, this letter. He was so concerned. He took time to spell this out in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, to give encouragement. He reminded the Christian Jews about their past and ancestral history. And the the deeds that did not enter into the rest of God, that did not enter into Canaan. They did not enter because of unbelief when a person goes astray in their heart and has a disbelieving heart. The result will always be a hard heart. A hard heart is insensitive insensitive to the word and work of God. In fact, the more the nation of Israel was privileged to witness the greatness of God's power, the greater became their responsibility to trust in him to believe in him, to walk by him, to, to walk by his faith in him, to all those things, to care for what he has given them. The careless heart can become amazingly callous and insistent to the Lord and to what he does. Their hearts were so hard that the people, as I just read, even wanted to return to Egypt. Come on. They cried when they were in Egypt, and now they're finally saying they want to go back. 
They didn't stop home didn't exist back then, but I guess we would call that a stop home syndrome. That is, that is where they were. You and I may not be able to understand that. You and I may not understand how a woman that has been beaten down day after day by her husband or her boyfriend continue to stay there, won't leave, can't leave, because she is locked in. She's fearful. She has no way to go. They, she would rather stay there and, and, and be abused and beat down, thinking that that's love, when it really isn't, because she has lost all hope of herself. She has no value in herself anymore. She doesn't realize how precious she is. She doesn't realize how important she is. Why would you stay there and let this man beat you day in and day out, day out and day in, and abuse you and have his way with you? You're not married to him. Even if you are married to him, that's not why you should be married. God did not create man to beat woman, but to love and respect and honor woman. To cherish her. See, the careless heart, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Imagine wanting to exchange freedom. Glory. Uh, they wanted to exchange the freedom of the God for forced slavery under Egypt. Let me tell you something. The Egyptians by that time were so highly perturbed, so highly peeved, so highly angry with the children of Israel that even if they had returned, they'd probably slay them all. They probably would have slain them all, slain them all, because of the problems that they caused them. Of course, all this history spoke to the hearts of the readers of this epistle. Why? Because they were in danger of going back themselves. This is what the author of the Hebrews uh, was trying to say to the Christian Jews of his day. Are you in danger, my brothers and sisters, of going back? Are you or have you been reminiscing about the good old days and the clubbing and the partying and, you know, the, all of the things you were doing and long for the return to that kind of life? Be careful if you are because you are in danger of drifting away from God. Look, God punished Israel in the wilderness of Kadesh Barnea. The entire generation was sentenced to death. There is nowhere else recorded where God decreed the death of an entire generation as he did in connection with the stubborn sin of Israel. Because that rebellious generation would die in the wilderness, only the new generation would enter and take possession of the promised land. God said they shall not enter into my rest. But what does this message mean today? to today's believers. What does it mean to you and I today? No believer today, Jew or Gentile, could go back into the into Moses, into the Mosaic legal system, since the temple is gone and there is no more priesthood. So it's gone. It's done. But there are those who still today think that the law is the way it goes. They couldn't keep the whole law. Why do you think they could Because of the condition of their heart. They couldn't keep it then, and they can't keep it now. That's why the old covenant has been done away with, and we have the new covenant under Jesus Christ. We're no longer under the covenant of law, but we're under the covenant of grace. 
Oh. But every believer, and I understand this because I want to, and I'm human just like everybody else. Every believer is tempted to give up his confession of Jesus Christ and go back into the world system's life of compromise and bondage. This is especially true during times when everything seems to be going wrong in your life. You lost your job. Your life has been cut off. Your water is off. You can't afford to put food on the table for your family. Let must yourself. You're starting to have physical and dental problems, and you can't afford to go to the doctor for the visit. You are going through some pretty hard times right now. That's when you're the most vulnerable, when you're going through the difficult times in your life. Uh, the fires of persecution have always purified the church because of suffering, because suffering separates true believers from counterfeit believers. If you're going through something, God is allowing you to go through it. Why? Because he's trying to purify you, get you stronger, get you to where he wants you to be, to get something to you, to build you up, to strengthen you, to empower you. You are more than what you realize. God knows what he has prepared for you. He knows what he wants for you to do. And you can do it, but he has to get you ready for it. Right now, you want all of this stuff, but you're not ready for it. And he's trying to get you ready. I know it's painful. I've been there, and I'm not over with it yet, I'm sure. Uh, that's when you are your most vulnerable. That's where the fire of this, the fire of persecution, have always purified the church because suffering separates true believers. For counterfeit believers, thank you, Holy Spirit. Remember when the when 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 the new Pharaoh took over that did not know Joseph, and he ordered that the male children of the Hebrews be slain. as the midwife said, the, the Hebrew women are too fast. They they give birth before we know it. We can't. We couldn't do it. They refused to kill the Jewish people. Um, the Jewish midwives refused to take the lives of the sons born to the Israelites. And so they wanted to kill them. And they put Israel under all kinds of stress, saying that if we work hard, if we do this, if we do that to them, then they will be too tired to reproduce. But the more pressure they put on them, the more pain they inflicted on the children of Israel, the more they reproduced. Why? Because God had a plan for Israel. God promised Abraham that I will make you a great nation. And so God was in the midst of their pain and their suffering and their hurt. God was creating a building, a nation within a nation. That's the fire, the persecution that the children of Israel were under. God is simply trying to increase you. He's trying to get you to a certain position so he can deliver you to a certain position so that you can take charge and have some victory, have some, have some control to come into your own. That's what he wants you to do, but it's all for his glory. You may benefit from it physically and spiritually, naturally and spiritually, but he's doing it for his glory. Uh, glory, God, I love it. Two believers are willing to suffer for Christ, and they hold firmly to their confession. The fact is, uh, <laughs> listen. What I want to say here. 
you got to hold firm. I know it's hard, but you got to stick to your conviction, and you have to hold to your confession of faith. We are not saved by holding on, by holding to our confession. Don't miss this. We are not saved by holding to our confession. The fact that we hold to our confession is proof that we are God's true children. John, the beloved, tells us how we can identify true believers from false believers. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, little minions, have come by which we know that it is the last hour. We are living in the last hour. Now I'm going to finish up here. Uh, they went out from us, he said, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out from us because they were, because they, I'm sorry, because they, that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Jesus is speaking to them on, on the wheat and the tares and forth of that. There will be a time of weeding out when we just endure, when we will know the real cross of faith, Matthew 13, 30. Let them grow together until the harvest. And at that time of harvest, and at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn, to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. There will come a day when the true children of God will be clearly known. John the beloved offers this encouragement to the believers in Christ Jesus. Beloved, now we are, the, we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when, we, when, when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let me just stop right there at 12 o'clock, and I want to end this right now. We'll pick up on next Sunday and try to complete this, this, this sermon, this teaching next Sunday. Listen, there, is, there are people here within the sound of my voice, maybe on the call, that does not know Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of their sin. I'm here to tell you, he's ready right now, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, he's ready right now to give you eternal life. If he's speaking to you, if you're looking for a church home and the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you, become a part of this ministry. This is where I want to be. This is where I want to work. This is the place I want to call home on my way to my heavenly home. Then we welcome you. Thirdly, if you're backslide, you want you want to have a relationship with Christ, but somehow lost fell out of relationship with him. He says he's married to the backslide. So return. And he will receive you unto himself. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. He will restore the joy in your life by when you return to him. So return to him, O backslide. If you're in need of prayer, God is an, is a, is an answer, is a God that, is, that answers prayer. He says, You will come to me and you will pray and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. When we are, when, our, when we pray in all of the heart, God will be found of us. Why? Because we are sincere. The word says, God is looking for he is spirit, and they who those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Why? Because those are the ones that he seeks to worship him. He is a spirit. You can't get to him any other way. 
You have to have a true heart, a sincere heart, one that is towards him. Finally, if you're away from your church home, consider making Jesus Christ ministries global, your church family, until you return home from, from your study, where you will then assist your pastor to fulfilling the vision that God has called him out to. In any of these areas, we welcome you. We thank God for you. Father, we thank you today for your word. We ask now, Lord, that your word will imminent will, will take root in the hearts of your people, and that, Lord God, they will grow stronger and more confident in you, and they will not entertain, Lord God, turning away and going back because of the struggles and the trial that they encounter as a Christian. One thing I'm grateful to you about, Father, is that you promised that there, you never promised that once I became, once I gave my life to Jesus Christ, that I would not that I will not go through the same problems and issues that everybody else deals with. You just promise to be with me when I go through them. You promise never to leave me, nor forsake me. You promise to always be there with me and for me. And you have never failed me, God. Every problem that I've encountered, every situation I found myself in, you have always been there. You have never left me. And you always delivered me safely and given me grace and, and, and shown the ones who, did, who mis, mistreated me and abused me you always showed them out to be liars, and you elevated me from one level to the next level. And from level to level, you elevated me. And every time I was mistreated, every time I was adversely mistreated, you lifted me up to another position. I'm so grateful to you, Father. And I know the same thing that you do in my life, that you did in my life, and that you're doing in my life. You will do in the lives of others who will give their life, and you will put their trust in you no matter what. So I thank you today, Father, for every living soul. I pray, Lord God, for those who are in need of healing right now, that you will move by your spirit and heal them even now, Lord. I thank you in the name of Jesus. Those who are suffering financial hardship, those who are being in threat of losing their home, those who don't know where they're going to get their next meal for, Father, I pray now in Jesus' name that you will reach out your hand and provide to them everything they stand in need of. In the name of Jesus. And God, I pray for the families of those who are already in Christ, who have lost loved ones, those who are in Africa, Lord God, and Mali, who have lost loved ones because of the, the, the wicked acts of others. And Lord, at the same time, I pray for those who commit these wicked acts, that you will move upon their hearts and you will convict them of the things that they have been doing wrong and show them, Lord God, that they may repent and come to Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. Because there is no sin so great that your grace is not greater still. There is no sin so strong that your love is not stronger still. God, you love all people. And I thank you for that. And we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Well,